I would like to take us to the book of Jonah this evening. One of the Bible stories most of us learned as children is the story of Jonah and the big fish. It is a great story with a simple but compelling plot, full of irony, breathtaking events, about a man who almost died because he didn't like what God wanted him to do. I want to review the story of Jonah and take the narrative to lessons for us today. First, I want to read Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went on board to go with them, to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on Whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So here is a man 
given a very clear assignment to take God's message of warning to the people of Nineveh, but he runs away. Why? See, the Jewish people did not think favorably about the people of Nineveh, the Assyrians. The Assyrians had been used by the Lord against the nation of Israel because of Israel's sin. So Jonah holds in his heart this strong dislike against the very people God sent him to preach to. It is clear Jonah doesn't want to do this. The Assyrians were enemies. They were pagans. And perhaps Jonah thought they would repent. It would not be good. One historian said no one liked the Assyrians, not even many of the Assyrians. Jonah didn't like them at all. Later in this book, it is stated that God had pity on the sinners in Nineveh, but not Jonah. It says that he fled, he ran from the presence of the Lord. And as we read, it didn't work out well. Sometimes when you decide to disobey God, you get immediate negative results. There was the storm, then being cast overboard, then swallowed by the fish. It gives a whole new meaning to the idea of seafood. Anyway, chapter 2 relates to us the prayer of Jonah, where he appeals to God from the belly of the fish. It is eloquent. It is a prayer with good content, honesty, acknowledgement that salvation belongs to the Lord. The next part of this creates a nauseating image, yet a way of escape from inside the fish. Chapter 2 and verse 10, The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. We come to chapter 3. Jonah preaches to Nineveh. And an amazing thing happens. The people of Nineveh, in large mass, accept the message, believe God, and repent of their sins. Who would have imagined such an outcome? God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, and it says God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Everybody ought to be happy now, right? Not Jonah. We're in chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please Take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the sea and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind 
and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so, so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came up into being in a night and perished in the night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Thus ends the story of Jonah and the big fish. Now we're going to inquire, what was his problem? Jonah's problem was not ignorance. Listen again in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittiah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. The assignment was very clear, and there is no evidence here or anywhere in the book of Jonah that he didn't understand his assignment, that it was complex or mysterious. No indication at all that Jonah didn't understand, didn't know, couldn't unravel it. Ignorance was not the problem. Jonah's problem was not laziness. Verse 3 reports all this activity. He rose up, he fled, he went, he found a ship. Some people who are disobedient just sit down somewhere so to speak, and do nothing. Disobedience is enhanced by laziness, and the latter increases the guilt. Jonah, however, shows no signs that he was a lazy person. That's not the problem. Jonah's problem was not ignorance. It was not laziness. Jonah's problem was not money. Chapter 1 and verse 3, I don't know about how he acquired money or how much he had, but I know the problem was not financial. Not only is there no evidence of that, verse 3 shows he was not a beggar or a stowaway. He paid his fare. So the problem is not ignorance. It's not laziness. It's not money. The problem is not dishonesty. In chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, you know, some people just lie. They don't do what God said and then they lie about it. Listen to this. When the storm is tossing and the ship is moving around perilously, I'm in chapter 1 of Jonah, verses 9 and 10. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Now, we may question his claim to fully fear the Lord at this point, but Jonah was honest about who he was, and he didn't conceal his connection with the Creator. So what is Jonah's problem? It's not ignorance, laziness, money, dishonesty, and it's not that he was a coward 
Listen again, I'm in chapter 1 of Jonah, verses 11 and 12. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Perhaps some of you listening right now have been on a ship, perhaps a cruise, and high winds came up and there was a storm. Do you remember anyone offering to jump overboard? Unlikely. We understand that, and it helps us appreciate the courage of Jonah who offered himself over to the sea. So he was not a cowardly man. Jonah's problem is not ignorance, laziness, money, dishonesty, and it's not that he was a coward. He stepped up and said that he would take the plunge to save the others. What was Jonah's problem? It was not that he didn't know how to pray or he was negligent about prayer. Some folks disobey the Lord, and in their disobedience, there is no attempt to pray. There is an absence of prayer, and I've had people tell me that in their sin, they forgot how to pray. In their repentance, they had to relearn communicating with God. Jonah was a praying man. Would you listen, please, to chapter 2? Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Eloquently expressive of his heart, Jonah knew how to pray. So, what was this man's problem? We've eliminated some possibilities. It wasn't ignorance or laziness or money. It wasn't that he was a liar or a coward. He was a praying man. And may I add, the problem was not that he didn't know the power of God. In this prayer, Jonah fluently articulates his knowledge of the power of God. He speaks of God's creative power, God's power to bring life up from the pit. And then he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. 
His problem wasn't ignorance, laziness, money, dishonesty, being a coward, or not knowing God's power. Jonah's problem was prejudice. Listen, please, to chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. That's about God relenting of the disaster that he had said would come upon the Ninevites. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and set to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose... God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, Nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Remember who these people were, the people of Nineveh. Nineveh was a capital of Assyria, The people of Israel, the Jewish people, had been attacked by Assyria. God had used Assyria against Israel. Jonah hadn't forgotten any of that. He had to preach to people he didn't like. And when they responded favorably, well, it was worse. Jonah was depressed. Instead of rejoicing, he was depressed. Like a pouting child, Jonah asked God to take his life. God, of course, does not take Jonah's life at this time. Instead, he rebukes him. God wants Jonah to learn and change. Jonah then goes outside the city to sit and wait and see what would happen. What does he think will happen? Is he still expecting God to destroy the city after they repented? Does he think that his pouting will change God's mind or make him better? Some children use pouting to manipulate their parents, and with some parents it works. Pouting never works with God and never makes you a better person. Never helps anybody else. God provides another miracle. This time he does not send a big fish, but rather a plant 
which grows up miraculously and provides Jonah shade from the sun. However, on the next day, a worm eats the plant and it dies. Guess what Jonah does? He complains to God. God gives this response. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Well, the story is all too familiar. There is something we need to do for people. An obligation we have from God. And we do not question that God has assigned the duty to us. We are not ignorant. We are capable. We are not lazy. We are praying people. We can speak eloquently of the power of God but there are people we simply don't like. There are resentments we hang on to. There are old experiences we allow to scar us and take us from love to hate. So, like Jonah, we know what we ought to do, what we need to say, how we need to help. The pathway is clear, but we're guilty of prejudice. A huge, debilitating attitude issue. Heart trouble. Selfish immaturity, a vengeful spirit. I mention now the case of the Apostle Paul. You will recall that the Apostle Paul, before he was baptized, would not be considered a likely prospect. In fact, we can well imagine Christians saying about him, he's not going to listen to the gospel. Look at the way he lives and look at what he has done to our people. We are often quick to look at certain people and just mark them off forever, turn away from them, and the immaturity of it may be this simple. We don't like them. Let's be both more reasonable and more responsible. Duty assigned by God is never to be dismissed or minimized because of our mood, our prejudice, our likes and dislikes. Preachers must sometimes preach to people they don't like. Christians must sometimes reach out to people who are very unlike them. Churches must sometimes accept people who are sincere, active Christians following the Lord, though we know that before their conversion, before their repentance, they did some really bad things that we well remember, but that we need to forget because God has forgiven them. One of the obvious applications to make from the book of Jonah is that if God tells us to do something or to go somewhere, the right response is to obey without question, without prejudice. We are foolish if we think we can run from God. The story of Jonah also is an indictment against us if we are more concerned with our own well-being than with the plight of those who are lost that we were called to go save. To use the plant analogy in Jonah 4, are we more concerned about our own lawn 
than the fact that our neighbors are perishing. One more thing. God, upon our repentance, is willing to take us to himself and relent. Chapter 4, verse 10. The Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh? His grace is all over this story. His grace is our hope. His grace is offered through Jesus Christ, calls for our active response. We ought to put our attitudes under the grace of God and pity those he pities. If God used a man like Jonah, can he use me and you? Let's be ready for that use and be thankful people we don't like can hear the gospel and be saved. Thank you for listening.